0: So I'm happy with the way my Don Quixote outfit came out, but uh, you look a little more like Cheech than Sancho Panza. Well, maybe you should just worry about, like, hitting that
1: windmill with that ore that we found on the beach, you know? Oh, wait a minute. Hey, we're rolling.
0: Oh, all right. Well, then let's roll. I'm Rich. And I'm Mark. And we are Two two Guys guys on Block Island.
1: Island. I feel that breeze. It's blowing in off
0: the sea. All right. So uh, welcome to the episode. We have a wonderful guest here for some good conversation for this episode. He is a self-proclaimed master of the universe. He is actually the manager of the Block Island Wind Farm and friend of ours, Brian Wilson. Welcome to the studio, Brian.
2: Thank you for inviting me. I appreciate it. And I think this is a really cool thing. Lots of people have shown... uh, interest in what you're doing so
0: thank you well we're we're glad you took some time out of your day we know it's not easy everybody's so busy but we really appreciate it this this will be
2: five minutes right Mm -hmm.
0: yeah okay yeah more or less it'll seem like five minutes
1: (laughs) that's mostly because of what we just put in your drink that your coffee that you're having so don't worry just try and relax
0: everything will be fine if you're not off we'll wake you up yeah (laughs) Mm -hmm.
2: yeah
1: so brian uh we like to ask all of our guests basically the first question is um what's your connection to block island when did you get here um do you live here year round why did you stay here if so that kind of stuff so what's your story
2: okay so have you ever seen the plymouth adventure no, no. Okay. Well, then we'll we'll <laughs> we'll skip forward a couple years. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. What's the Plymouth Adventure? That's that's the, basically the uh, landing of the Pilgrims. Oh, oh, that. oh, <laughs> oh. Okay. You know, Spencer Tracy. Come on. <laughs> oh, no, I never oh, saw God. that movie. No, oh, oh my God. It's just you know it's 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 total fake history, but it's just right. a fabulous movie.
0: I, I wondered how he was going to start. I was thinking my mom and dad had a lot of drinks <laughs> <laughs> and dressed up like pilgrims. Yeah. Well,
2: well, actually, you know, my my mom and dad had uh, seven kids and uh, four. Four of us uh, were um, born in the summer months, so uh, we kind of did the math backwards on that, and we figured they did have some holiday drinks, so uh, that's where it came from. But I I landed on Block Island uh, in 1961 when I was three days old. I was baptized in um, the uh, St. Andrews Church on um, Chapel Street, and uh, my parents were cottagers, which uh, if your listeners are familiar with now— as a, you know, sort of a, a genre of, of folks that uh, came to the Block Island in the late 50s, 60s, and 70s. We've come to know a few of them. Yes, yep. we're, we're familiar with it now. At that time, were they renters? No. So um, dad used to come out here in the um, the late 30s um, to visit an aunt. And then uh, after the Hurricane of 54, uh, he bought some property on the west side from uh, Lena Ball uh, $400 for two acres, <laughs> 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 Wow! <laughs> which was everything he had in the bank. And uh, wow. he asked his, he asked his dad, who was a banker for, um, some more money because, you know, property was cheap. And, uh, his, his grandpa, uh, my grandpa said, uh, no money belongs in the bank, not in real estate. So, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Smart guy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, that, and, wh- and where was home base for you? So um, I'm originally from New Jersey. Okay, Joyzey. Yeah. Okay. Name is Rich. I've 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 managed to um, lose most of that accent over the course of my years in New England. New England. Can you but turn it th- an on and off if you need to? Though, <laughs> if you go back
1: home and see the Jersey buddies, yeah. can you be like, "Hey, guy. <laughs> I I never want to go
2: back to New Jersey." Were you guys <laughs> Were you guys out by Morristown in that area? Actually, we lived in Morristown and Summit. So,
0: um, yeah, I think I might've visited one of your brothers one time way back when, you know, I spent the very end of high school. I went to school in Secaucus.
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the warrants are still outstanding by the way. Yeah.
0: (laughs) But you know, they'll never find me here. I'm in the Warrant Club on Block Island. It's <laughs> <as> a
2: club. <laughs> so uh, dad built dad a little cottage. Um, yeah, it was very interesting because he was a research physicist for Bell Labs. He was not the best carpenter, but he did a good job. He built a, a shack, um, and he would um, uh, take us up here in the summertime, all seven kids, and leave mom with the seven kids all week, and then he'd go back to work, and then he'd come back on the daddy boat yep. on Friday night. <laughs>
1: We'll uh, heard and, all about the daddy boat. Yeah, we yeah. know the
2: daddy boat. Yep. And uh it was it was it was just an amazing thing because the um you know, as as kids out here we were um very liberated. You know, we basically we left the house first thing in the morning and didn't come back until dinner time. Uh we just went to the beach or did our jobs and stuff like that. It was it was a very, very cool time to grow up. Um and no
1: worries on the parts of your parents. It wasn't, it, you no. did, they didn't have to be concerned with you getting kidnapped or anything
2: no, crazy. No, we, you know, we get to town by hitchhiking. Yeah. You know, it, yeah. Was, it, it was, it was, it was, it was, was a very, it, we, everyone here was, was, was trusted and so forth.
0: And if you could hitchhike as far as Champlins, you could be guaranteed the Ballard's bus. Yeah, you, could, it, it, you could run down there and jump yeah. on the Ballard's, uh, <laughs> the Ballard's bus. So, yeah. and you had like, like for me, I grew up down Dory's Cove yeah. and that whole area was just, you know, the playground yeah. and you had Kunimus. So, I mean, you yeah. must've been down <laughs> beach all the
2: time and absolutely we played down there and and you know as, as an indication of uh you know the the gift that my parents gave us we we also have given that gift to our children they call kuno Beach the magic beach which uh, is you know it, for me it you know makes my chin wiggle yeah know. that's ah. That's, that's awesome. They, you know, they, it's, it's, it's a generational thing. It's, it's not about the financial component of the island. We talk about, you know, yeah, the land was cheap then and it's expensive now, but the block Island experience is not something you can quantify and qualify in financial terms. That's right. It's, it's it's about the, it's, it's about the experience, the life experience that you have here.
0: Yeah. And like you said, seven kids in a shack for the summer, you know, you know,
2: I'll I'll tell you. And
0: friends. (laughs) Friends of kids coming over to the shack, oh, you know, oh, 9, 10, 11 kids. Oh, no doubt.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll tell you a funny story. Mom, um, mom used to uh, uh, get frustrated with us at certain points, and so she would um, put us in the bedroom. There was one bedroom with bunk beds for all the kids, and then she would paint the floor. And he's just like, you, <laughs> you cannot come out until the floor Don't ruin is the dry. paint. <laughs> Literally painted you into a corner. Exactly. Painted you into a bunk. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, Mom had had enough at that point. So You see so, her yeah. like,
0: getting the paintbrush in the can of paint out, and you're it, like, oh, boy, it, here it, we go. You yeah. know, I feel cruel because I just took their shoes and spread broken glass all over the floor. And, you know, I, I should have thought of the paint. What a much nicer, kinder. There's, Way to
2: go. There's less paperwork than the glass. right? true. Yeah. yeah. yeah speaking mm-hmm.
0: of
1: warrants, right? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how many summers were you guys cottagers and then before you ended up out here full time?
2: So, um, um, like I said, you know, 61 is when I land, first landed here. Um, I graduated from college in 83. And in, where'd you go to school? Um, in New Jersey. Okay. Um, and then, uh, I did the New York City thing. where worked for a high-end architect in New York City for um, a year. And is that and, what you went to school for, architecture yes, originally? Yes, okay. Yes. And then um, and then I ended up um, escaping the white noise of civilization. I moved back to Block Island where I, you know, had work experience, uh, you know, did all the stuff, you know, um, uh, working, you know, washing dishes at the 60s. I was just going to say, what, what
0: were your summer jobs? Because we all and have 16, 61. So, so, so you were
2: in your 20s, I'm assuming? This is after
1: college, after New York? Yes, okay, yes. Okay, so mid-80s, somewhere in the mid-80s. Yeah,
2: yeah. so uh, 80, 80, call it 84. Okay. So, um, and I, I came back and I, uh, I got a, a construction job. Um, I had, you know, before that I had been doing construction on and off, but uh, – I had all the interesting jobs, like doing dishes and making the donuts and the clam cakes at uh, Payne's Dock. Uh-huh. Very, uh, fun stuff First like that. First
0: graduate of that class that we've yeah. had on the show.
2: <laughs> it, it That was quite an adventure. Doris was just a, a lovely lady uh. to work for. So, um, And Frank was one of the most fascinating characters you can imagine you know if if you get a chance to interview cliff multiply that by 10 and then you have frank and that so, was cliff's dad yeah okay. yeah frank so, frank said a really funny one to me one time we were talking about some a
0: carpenter actually i won't name him and he goes i go hey it does nice work and frank goes yeah but you gotta line him up with a tree to make sure he's actually moving <laughs> 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 i thought that's hilarious like that's, that's a, a very idea. kind way to say hmm
2: is he really moving though yeah. so so i landed i landed on block island after my new york experience and um uh, got a, a job in construction which was which was a lot of fun cuz there was a boom in construction at that time um primarily second residential houses for for folks um and I, uh, you know, had all my misadventures with, uh, all, you know, as 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 most people in that age group do. Uh, so the details are a little foggy, but yeah. I'm, I'm 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 pretty sure that uh, I I um I had a good time, and I also <laughs> I, I I saved up money, and I, I had an opportunity to you know take various trips. You know, so I went to uh, South America and Europe, and africa and uh and asia wow. and, so, and so forth you know i you know take two or three months off every year and and do that so that, see the that world yeah. yeah and it was you know just backpacking around so it was uh yeah. it was a real good opportunity for uh, for doing that and you 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 all right i'm going to give you
0: my take on uh, brian because i came i'm a little i'm slightly younger than you but in the younger years just a couple of years makes all the difference i was very intimidated by brian because uh, those of you who don't know him he's a very tall gentleman he's big How tall are you can we ask So
2: that? so well, let's let's just put it this way um uh I'm one of the few people who can call big rich little rich <laughs>
0: exactly <laughs> yeah. So he was very intimidating to me I I always thought he looked a little bit like John Lennon. He wore the little round glasses, and he would emerge from these trips. And I hung out with your younger brothers, uh, uh, Sean mostly, and occasionally Andrew. Yep. And we used to, you know, the end of the night when we – Wanted to drink more, but there was nowhere to drink more. We would drink on the big rock. I believe yes. its name is
2: Marshall. Is that correct? <laughs> it's it, it's anything you want to well, call it. We called it Marshall. <laughs> Where's we this rock in his yard? Oh oh oh. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it, it's it's yeah. it's a technical technical term for that. It's a glacial erratic. But this okay. this thing is uh, about thirty feet long and about twelve feet high. And it just sits very proud in the property. Yeah, it's and big, it's, and it's uh, it's it's been a generational magnet for our family, and and I'm sure for the Native Americans who were here before us. It's, yeah, it's, I it's, remember it's an it. outstanding feature of the landscape well i
0: spent many an erratic night on that (laughs) rock uh drinking beers with erratic you said it's called right i just (laughs) want to make sure i have that right okay yeah you're you're (laughs) the you're the glacial part so okay yeah (laughs) Yeah. i was the glacier glacier to that erratic you know all right enough of that but yeah so i used to he would pop on the scene and i kind of was like wide eyed you know here he is a few years older than me world traveler big guy i was like you know but i probably only got to know you later later years you know i knew your brothers for longer but all right so so i interrupt i'm sorry go ahead
2: oh no that's okay <laughs> so um after after a number of years uh working construction i i started my own i went off on my own and uh, started a construction company and uh again you know primarily high-end second residences because i had a background in architecture i had you know a a foot in the door in terms of doing what's called design-build. Design-build. Yeah, so that you can, you know, if, if you know how to build things and you know how to design things, it, You know it's, it's very attractive to people. So And how long did you do that for? Um, about 18 years. So from the mid to late 80s through... Yeah, uh, it 2000, 2008, everything went away. Okay. Yeah. Um, so that was, um, um, you know, the, the recession hit everyone very, very hard. Right. And especially the folks that uh, were, you know, in, in a business building second houses for folks. You know. And how did you enjoy your time as a builder? Did you I, like I, doing it? I... I, 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 I absolutely loved it you did you know creating things building things employing people yeah you know it, it runs the whole gamut the the thing I miss to this day is walking around the job site with this you know after everyone's gone and and just smelling the uh the sawdust yeah you know it's just uh, it, it was it was such a fabulous time for me um Fabulous experience for me.
1: And you get to – when you drive around the island, you can see – you're like, hey, I built
2: that house. I built that house. I built that house. And did you design
0: most of the ones you built? Uh, um,
2: uh, Actually, I I designed pretty much everything I built. uh, There were a few exceptions. Everything I built was uh, my own design, but I also did a few other houses. But I also designed houses for other folks as well. Um, So there was – I lost count in 2001. But it was about four hundred projects, which included everything from outhouses to renovations to dormers, but also um, uh, large-scale residences.
1: So and who were like. who were some of your influences as an architect? Who do you, you know? Are you a Frank Lloyd Wright guy? Who are you, know, who well, did you? like?
2: actually, Frank Lloyd Wright was one of my influences, but not you know primarily stylistically. You know, right. there was a, a Green and Green brothers and um, uh, the, um, the the whole. Um, Uh, um, shingle style yeah sort of was was attractive to me and that fit very well with the vernacular on block island yeah it happened to be something that struck a chord with me but was also um very um, very well suited to to block island Um, and
1: are you the kind of builder who because i have some friends that are carpenters out here and uh they do great work they're high-end guys master carpenters and uh I visited them on job sites and you check out their work and it's great. And then you go to their house and they've got like a million projects going on and none
2: of it's ever finished. (laughs) So, so what's really important to understand is that the carpenters whose house is done dies. <laughs> oh, so you do not finish your house. Right. No, it's never it's, done. It, it's, and at least that's what I tell my wife. So yeah. Yeah. When I had the mowing business, my lawn was like 12
0: inches long. Yeah. Everything else was done. Everybody else's lawn looked beautiful. Yeah. And my wife's like, when are you going to cut our lawn? I'm like, uh, mm, soon. Yeah. yeah. You know. and how was your experience
1: with with the customers? Did you ever have any of those like really annoying like super needy super wanty demanding customers
2: yes um but uh, for the most part um i'm I'm gonna characterize most of my customers as as wonderful people they um the the demographic that gets attracted to block island it's not the uh, the Hamptons sort of group, yeah where you know they want a show house. These these folks wanted a, a place to raise their families that uh, that would be a touchstone for them um, throughout the years, and it was it was very important to them that uh, uh, the house was custom tailored to the needs of their family. What they liked and disliked from previous places that they lived was you know very informative. Yeah.
0: Now I know you're out of the game and you have been for a while, but we've often talked about the change in Island's clientele. Do you think what you just said is still true, or do you think we're seeing a little bit of that influx of the people that more the like Hampton, Hampton type than you know. yeah, yeah, there's
2: there's there's a there's a small component of that. You know, yeah. obviously, you know, high profile because you know the, the, those big houses, you know, the twelve million dollar houses and so forth tend to attract our eye. But there's a there's an awful lot of folks who are just uh, Doing the the homestead sort of thing, um, they're still doing that. I think Block Island attracts people who are not flashy, right? For the most
1: part, they go to the vineyard or uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If
2: you want to show off, you don't go to Block Island. Right. If you want to just hang out and be a local and you know enjoy the place you come to block island yeah. i may
0: have i may have quoted her before but i think kim gaffett had a line that i loved it said people come here for what it's not yeah yeah you yes. know what i mean i think they were talking about why don't we have a golf course one of this and it's like if they want a golf course there's a million other places they can go on vacation if that's if you're going to golf right people come here for what it's not
1: yeah i mean it's that's... the kind of place you could be literally in you know club soda sitting next to some guy in a in a ratty sweatshirt and, uh, you know, you could chat it up with him and for an hour and have no idea. And then he leaves and someone's like, oh, yeah, that's the CEO of, you know, whatever, yep. some giant company. And you're like, oh, my God, that guy's a billionaire. And I had no idea.
2: Yeah. yeah so. one, one of my clients early on was um, a guy named Andy Ziegler. He had 70 acres down on um, on the neck and uh, he was a fascinating guy. Um, one of my mentors, actually, um, very early on in my career. But, you know, he was, he was a mentor in, in many ways but he um he uh um would have breakfast with clinton on tuesday mornings <laughs> and then we'd sit on the deck on friday afternoon and he'd uh, give me a gin and tonic and we'd just sit there and talk about life and the world and stuff you know it's that kind of people
0: so um so What's kind of cool about your story is like in one generation, your your dad was building a shack on weekends practically, and then you made it all the way up to building up to one of my favorite buildings you built is downtown front and center, the figurehead. I yeah. mean, it's just gorgeous. It is. And I mean, you know, I don't need too many details about the owner, but I mean, they approached you and you, did you design that building?
2: Yes. I designed and built it. And it was, uh, one of those, uh, <laughs> stressful projects where we basically had nine months to build it. Oh, my God. Uh, now, Bobby, Bobby Rose had rebuilt the um, Ballard's building after the uh, the fire in nine months. So he was one of my heroes in terms of um, that. You know, I was like, how did he do that? And then I was faced with a similar sort of challenge where, you know, we basically had to clear the lot right after uh, Labor Day and have it ready uh, for the next summer, and uh, it, was, okay. it was it was it was quite an experience.
0: I don't even remember what was there. What was there before? The so, figurehead. so
2: there was a small building there. Uh, we called it the Figurehead Building. Uh, that was after um, um, Hal Conant Sr.'s wife had a um, uh, used to sell figure figureheads and and bells there. But uh, oh. it was it was a very old building. It's from the 1880s. It actually used to be an, another location. From there, we moved it to the backside a lot, turned it around onto Weldon's Way, and preserve that that building. That was a, a very important thing for us to preserve that piece of history, and also potentially develop Weldon's Way as a as a more of a commercial street as well okay and there's something in there
0: with the nature conservancy now or yes, one of it, one of those which
2: which is a great fit for
0: yeah that's know. pretty cool yeah, yeah, so that I, building I, was up front on the street and you moved it to the back street yeah, and,
2: and the adaptive reuse of of that kind of structure for the nature conservancy just you know that that's perfect yeah. it's a fit. Perfect it fit the vibe fit. Yeah, yeah. yeah yeah it's just you know it's so good that we can do this rather you know when i was a kid water street was a dump you know they were there the buildings were falling down um. In and, and uh, you know there were buildings being torn down across the island. And uh, I'll say this for the um, the historic district commission, which I was on for, for uh, a number of years. Yeah, we make funny all the time for that. Yeah, yeah. People call <laughs> the historical district and so forth. And and yes, you know it, it gets out of line on occasion. But yeah, um, you know. Um. But it it. it it was essential, absolutely essential in preserving uh, much of the, the historic fabric that we have on Block Island. Um, and as such, you know, it, it should be tolerated. You know, my, my mantra always was, you know, if it, if it blows away in a hurricane, I don't care about it, but if it's a door or window or something, it's important. So, you know, there's, there's levels of, 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 of how you can, um, uh, regulate things like that and and do them effectively. Yeah. You know, we joke about it, but when you, that is what gives
0: Water Street and Block Island, when you first pull in, that's the aesthetic. And it's there because of that. I mean, if you just let anybody do whatever they wanted, it would not look the way it does. And uh, I think I commented once before, we have some of the, the largest original buildings of that style from yeah. that period that have, are still intact and have been, you know, maintained and brought back
2: and and brought back. And like you know. I said, you know, it was, it was a dump and it, uh, some of the things that happened in my lifetime are uh, very, very important lessons for all of us. It's a, you know, it, I, I call a sense of stewardship. We don't own block Island. None of us own block Island. It's, you know, it's a gift from our parents to us and, you know, and from us to our children. And, uh, you know, in, in my lifetime, the stewardship I've seen on block Island is extraordinary. You know, we've, We've you know, we we've gone from pumping effluent into the ocean and into ponds to a state-of-the-art sewer and water system. We have you know close to what fifty percent Block Island conservation. Uh, we have you know, no discharge harbor. Now we have the wind farm where we've we've silenced uh, you know the diesel generators with a million gallons of diesel fuel a year. You know uh, it's it just the the list goes on and on in terms of. The 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 stewardship that I've seen here, and you know that's change is 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 always makes people nervous, uh, especially change, out here. Yeah, yeah, and change uh, change is inevitable, but no. the character of that change is not inevitable. Right. When when the, the Cuttings Cottage development went in there, um, that caused the town to change the zoning ordinance to much more restrictive, which was actually a very beneficial thing for the island so
1: and how do you feel about let's say uh, i don't you know like the surf hotel now that's owned now i believe that's the first business on the island of any size that's been purchased by an off-island corporation basically yep so i mean it seems like the outside i've walked through i i think it looks good the outside still looks the same i mean but but in terms of you know do you feel like that's opened a door now uh, to, to more corporations maybe coming in and do, maybe not – trying not to do that or I don't know.
2: So, so I would I – there's two you – know, obviously, uh, 10 sides to every argument about something like sure. this. You know, development um, especially. If you get a large influx of capital, then you can save historic structures. Uh, if it's done appropriately uh, in, in, in a manner that's historically and socially acceptable to the island – that's a very good thing. Many of the the places that I saw that were falling apart in my childhood was because there was not adequate capital. Um, yes, it was a cottager sort of island. Uh, people were still making their their living uh, to a certain degree of agriculture and fishing. Um, and the you know the return to tourism that we had seen in the, the 1900s uh, that we we saw in the um, the uh, the late eighties early nineties and and currently are living through um, yes, people can could decry the fact that there's more people here doing more things, but I would argue that um, those folks coming here actually can be a benefit to block Island you know um, and it 's not just the financial aspect of it uh, we have you know this is a treasure that we have here, and we we can share this treasure. Uh, if we if we do it carefully, right, and um, it
0: takes money to preserve a treasure, yes, and, yeah, you know, you yep. you have to find a source, and sometimes, if those if all those people weren't here, we wouldn't have the necessary means to maintain the treasure, in the fashion you're saying,
2: we 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 would not have this state of the art sewer and water, we would not have the new infrastructure that we have to support, you know, um, our, our our municipal activities, including police, fire, rescue, uh, and so forth, all all that stuff, it, it, it takes money. Um, you know, going from the cottager sort of um, aspect of Block Island to this, what we've seen now is more of um, – there's more and more people coming for a shorter period of time, you know, a week or two at a time. It's expensive to come here and stay yeah. in the summertime. But, you know, uh, to, to my mind, if you come here for a day or a week or you live here a lifetime, if this place touches your soul, um, it can become a touchstone of your existence. And as a consequence of that, we not only have this year round community of, say, a thousand people, but we have this broad diaspora of folks around the world, around the country, and around the world who care about this place, who are very concerned about it, who contribute to um, uh, all our needy causes out here. I don't so. think I've heard it put any better than that. He yet.
1: sounds a lot smarter than he looks. I know. I know. I know. Amazing. <laughs> no,
0: that was really, that's, that's, that's the best I've ever I, that's heard That's the best like I've that. heard it put, I think. That was good.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so you're you're 2008, the market goes, the, you know, housing market tanks. Yep.
2: And um so what happens then? So um at that juncture I had 16 employees, um and uh, most of them had been working for me with me, not for me, with me, for right. years. It's very important to understand that. Um and it was absolutely heartbreaking um to you know to uh, letting people go. And you know, using the last of my resources to you know fixing decks and screen doors and stuff and so forth, it got to a point where I actually had to go on unemployment. First time in my life ever. You know, I'd been working since I was ten years old on Block Island, and uh, it was it was it was a, a very difficult time for not only myself but a lot of other people. But at that juncture, um, Deepwater Wind was just starting uh, their proposal with regards to the offshore wind farm here. And so I threw my hat in the ring and, you know, um, I, you know, suggested that, you know, as a local person, I'd been on the town council for many years and other boards and commissions and so forth that, you know, I could I could be a liaison um, to, to the community, you know, sort of boots on the ground to explain the project because, you know, I studied the project very closely and I felt that it was appropriate for Block Island, you know, and it's important to note that. Um, you know, my my priorities are my family and my community, and I would not do anything that would compromise that. And I looked at this project very closely, and I felt that uh, this was a good fit for us. And um,
1: but not everybody felt that way initially.
2: That's that, that's correct. Um, and, and you know, and that's that's certainly understandable. But uh, I, I would argue that uh, the support for the project from very early on was very strong. Yeah, you know, obviously there was there was a um, um, a group of detractors. So you know, um, was
1: it was mostly people that own houses in that would be in view, s- or was it more of a of cost thing?
2: Let me let me be very careful about that because sure. you know, um, there's <clears throat> I'm going to say there's very strong support because it was it, it was it, you know, it was a good fit. To, for block out. You know, yeah. trade five diesel generators for five offshore wind farms. I mean, it seems you know, like a you know. no-brainer. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, it fits with our ter- eco-tourism des- you know, uh, you know, so ethic that we have here. It's, it's
0: a size go green. It's, it's yeah. a supersized version of let's
2: go green. But uh, to get back to your point with regards to the detractors, the folks who were, you know, unsure or against the project initially. And it was, uh, you know, a smaller group of folks. You know, they, they tended to be quite vocal, which is not um, uncommon with uh, these kinds of projects. Um, I'm going to, uh, you know, make a point here that I think is very important that, you know, I, I think nimbyism has a bad reputation, you know, not in my backyard. Yeah. Um, You know, and that, that bad reputation comes primarily because, you know, uh, folks threw everything at the wall to try and stop a project in that regard. But nimbyism is actually very legitimate in my mind. Sure. Um, I they, mean, if it's a giant, you know, if they want to put up a giant neon cowboy, you know, that. Yep. It's it's it, you know it's it, it's a change to block it's a significant change to Block Island. Um, it, it could potentially have effects on tourism, on um, on uh, wildlife, you know, uh, avian activity, or um, um, uh, um, uh, sea mammals, things like that. It could also have impacts on on uh, your real estate values and on your ability to rent your house, um, things like that. Those are all legitimate concerns. Um, and they were all addressed during the course of the project. We discussed it for seven years, right? You know, and it was it was it was it was studied. It was yeah, as a demonstration project. It was a very good thing for all the stakeholders, whether they were pro or con or somewhere in the middle, uh, with regards to this project. One of the the most telling conversations I had was with uh, David Lewis. Um, David and Keith are the you know the sons of of um the the Lewis family that you know were instrumental in creating the conservation movement on Block Island and Keith was quietly in 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 favor of the project but his brother was was not and he was you know he was quite vocal in his opposition opposition to it but we had protracted conversations about this and I like to think that we they were friendly they were good conversations and he looked at me one day and he said you know if you put these things out in that pristine seascape that I've looked at all my life, it's going to change the quality of my life. Now that I can't argue with that. Sure. I mean, that, that is absolutely legitimate, but there's lots of other people who, you know, would look out at at that seascape and say, you know, they don't see rust, you know, uh, an industrial blight on the seascape. Instead, they see these elegant sculptural symbols of a better future progress you know so it's it's um you know there's there's got to be a balance the needs of the many versus the needs of the few kind of thing
0: yeah and i and i think that you know now that it's done i mean i don't want to get too far ahead because i have a few questions about to what you've already said but um you know i had clients in my business that i they were concerned about the value of their property and I think going forward, their property is still worth more than it was ten years ago, yeah. and I think they were worried that it would it would just plummet, like it right. Doing it. And you know, uh, I don't think it did. So I, I think don't think good. it did either. Plus, but I understand that especially if you own a house there looking right out at you know that area and all of a sudden change forever.
1: And did you have the opposite from some of those people that maybe had how, homes in view of where they would be who said hey this is great I can't wait to look out the window and see these cool things.
2: Yeah absolutely yeah. you know it, it, there's a, a couple that uh, worked worked with Noah um who, who live in the view shed there and yeah. uh, they were t- retired from Noah both of the uh, professional professionals from a uh, um from that organization and they were like build them now get them <laughs> up there because you know we've we've seen the reefs around the world dying we've seen you know the the environmental disaster that is uh, our fossil fuel our petrochemical just right. self-destructive uh, addiction and they were like get them get them up there as soon yeah. as you can
1: and in the project Deepwater had uh, approached other Areas didn't they try and do something, do it off of Martha's Vineyard or something off the Cape, and maybe off of. the
2: So the deep water, um, it, the this was the pilot project for for the whole industry, and what we're seeing now is that uh, as it it was built as a demonstration project, it's important to understand that going back to 2007, the um, governor who was a Republican governor um of the state of Rhode Island issued an RFP a request for proposals and and it contained three things one is to solve the Block Island power issue we, you know we we're working on diesel generators get us a, get us a cable get us a, a an umbilicus to to the mainland two try and bring um the um uh, uh this nascent industry to Rhode Island as as an industry that may have the potential to grow and provide job opportunities, and the third one is to to meet the environmental standards, um, you know, r- reduction of um, of uh, uh, of petrochemical pollutions uh, associated with the state of Rhode Island, and so the state um, put that RFP out there, and uh, Deepwater among um, six other companies came in and said, yeah, we, sure, we'd be interested in doing this. Um, all the other companies went with the state proposal, which was 200 turbines around Block Island and State Waters. Deepwater was the only one that said that's just not going to work. You know, that's <laughs> yeah. just yeah, that's just insane. So why don't we start with a small demonstration project? We get everyone, all the regulatory agencies, all the stakeholders, all you know, the, all the local folks, and and get them engaged in the conversation on a small scale, baby steps and then build the larger projects subsequent to that. So what we did, um, we, you know, Deepwater got the, um, the, the the go-ahead from the state to do that, and uh, we, we built it as a demonstration project. We worked with uh, regulatory agencies. We worked with academic institutions, and we continue to, to address all the stakeholder concerns. So it's, a, it's, it's really informing the larger industry, and this actually opened the floodgates for – a multi-billion dollar industry in the Northeast, Uh, up and down the East Coast, but primarily in the Northeast because that's where the the heavy load sectors are. And uh, so we have, um, you know, 20 miles offshore, we have an opportunity to um, not only provide green electricity for much of the Northeast, but also provide tons of jobs. And so it's, you know, it's a real win-win-win. And where is Block Island? The smallest town, the smallest state? They were the first ones in the water. That's huge. Yeah, it's just, it's it's such a, I'm so proud of this community. And I think there's other people in this community that feel that same sense of pride. You know, they, they take tourists out on boats. Just to show them the wind farm. Yeah, I've it, done that. Yeah, you know, and I go.
0: It's cool fishing out there. And, 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 yeah. I've been out there, and, and you know, the, the humpback whales were going through right next to the boat. I mean, it's yep. just so cool. I took the, that. I took a helicopter tour around them, yep. and wow, from the air, it,
1: those things are impressive.
0: Yeah, I'm just really. gonna say that hump, you would think you could reel in a humpback whale. Well, it wasn't. I couldn't do it. I couldn't.
1: I, <laughs> well, you have to jump in and wrestle them. It's usually, yeah. you know how you it works. Grab yeah. them by the blowhole. Yes, grab them by the. Bl- I love the blowhole.
2: That's a. Oh, we we had to go there, didn't we, Brian? Did <laughs> you ever grab a whale by the blowhole? <laughs> no, but I'll tell you about the the, the leatherback turtle something some other time.
0: So you've you've sort of brought us forward but a quick question you you touched base on some of the studies so what were some of the studies um you know uh, i know f- one they set up a contraption by the light by the southeast lighthouse and then you also referenced uh sea mammals so what did they do for studies regarding wildlife to sort of um you know make uh, sure it wasn't in inter- i guess it was to make sure we didn't interrupt any major migrations
2: yep that's that's correct and uh, i'm 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 glad you called a contraption a uh, jalopy up there, but uh, <laughs> so um, we had uh, avian radar installations in um, several locations on Block Island, um, but primarily at the Southeast Light. And what we were doing was we were studying avian activity over the course of three years out there to see what kind of you know if you have passerines, if you have um, sea ducks, uh, cormorants, and so forth, what kind of avian activity is there that might potentially be disrupted by the installation of these wind farms. When when you design a wind farm, one of the things fundamental things you want to do is you don't want to put it in an area where there's a lot of avian activity, because there there will be bird kill associated with um, inappropriately placed wind farms. If they're appropriately placed, there's basically no wind, uh, no avian mortality associated with it. You know, we we've got almost nothing out there uh, in terms of avian mortality, and we study it. We have a radar systems out there that actually study bird activity around there. Um, we also did um, um, marine surveys, uh, benthic, primarily benthic surveys, uh, which are trawl surveys. So you look at what's on the seabed there and establish what's there in advance. And then throughout the course of construction, and then uh, the post-construction, you look at um, uh, what, the, what happens in terms of the benthic ecology, but also the pelagic, uh, which is, you know, in, the, in the, the, the water column itself. You know, what kind of developments you see there, which have, has, you know, been enormous. Um, and you, you look at um, uh, make sure that the construction activities uh, don't interfere with um, um, marine mammal migrations. Right whales. So
0: you uh, actually mean like the sound of like you had to do some yeah, pounding, obviously, yeah, and drilling. Yeah, the and, pile,
2: pile driving, and so forth. It was done outside of, um, um, outside of the uh, um, migration periods you know, by by agreement, so that uh, you know it, it took two years to assemble this this wind farm because, in part, um, we we you had to had, stop and wait. We had for to the, stop and wait yeah. for for those migration periods to go through. We wow. um, we we've, we've seen. Um, you know, in, 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 in conjunction with all the uh, academic institutions we work with, we've seen um, a, a, a bloom of fish in and around um, the wind farm. That's, that was to be expected because anytime you put structure in the water – um, that structure becomes coated with slime, and then barnacles. Then barnacles and, yeah. and, attracting and, and, and,
0: the little tiny and, krill, and, and, and then the fish, and yeah, then the bigger fish. Yeah, yeah.
2: mussels get on there, and and you know, I you know, I'll, I'll be standing on the platform seventy five feet up, you know, just the the foundation looking down, and there's you know, there's fish all over the place, you know, and and you you can see it because the commercial, the recreational fishermen, come in. And they fish around there, and it's it's the funniest thing to see because you can tell when you know when when parents want their kids to catch a fish, they take them to the wind farm because every time they <laughs> <Yep>. cast, <laughs> they they catch a fish. It's just it, it you know, and the you can hear the excitement you know below. So look it's, at it's, that! It's, it's you're really not cool.
1: not only like you know uh, doing something great for for our environment, you're also making dreams come true for little kids. Yeah, there you go. That's... You know. You should have pitched that to people when they said, you know, we don't want this in our view shed. You say, hey, I guess you want to crush a little kid's dreams then.
0: <laughs> yeah. You know, that would have been no fish for you.
1: No, no fish for you. Go home. <laughs> so, uh, can I ask a question? How does. Uh, I, there are a lot of people, including myself, who aren't exactly clear on how this all works now. So, the wind, the turbines generate electricity. There's a cable that goes under the water from the turbines to a. Tr- Station, a trans, a little junction station here
2: at 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 the Block Island Power Company. At the Block Island Power Company, that's called the export cable. That's separate from the second cable, which goes to the mainland. So what happens is we produce the electrons, we produce the electricity at the wind farm. Um, 34.6 kilovolts. I'm not going to get too 21.1 gigawatts. Uh, yeah, yeah, there yes. you go, yeah. And uh, then, then we fly in with our our, our DeLorean. Your DeLoreans. Great Scott! Yes, yes. <laughs> so, um, you know, so we deliver the electrons to a substation at the power company, and we hand those electrons over to National Grid, which has a substation there as well. National Grid then gives about 10% of those electrons to the Block Island Power Company, and that's adequate to power all of Block Island. And then ninety percent of the electrons then get sent from BIPCO, from National Grid's BIPCO station substation to the mainland where they they power approximately you know rule of thumb is is about seventeen thousand houses is what we can support with the um, with the uh, output from the wind farm.
1: Okay, because one one thing I've heard was that the 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 electrons that come off of the generator the turbines come to the island, then go. To the mainland, then come back to us. So that's not true. No, that's, that's not, not how correct. it works. Okay.
2: So let's say the wind farm is down. So you know, and you know, on, on rare occasions we, we're in doldrums where we don't have any wind. For the most part, we have
0: like three wind. days a year. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Block <laughs> yeah. Island. Yeah. And, 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 I get nervous when I walk out my not, door. Like, what's wrong? Yeah. <laughs> There's and, no wind.
1: Spoiler alert. It's yeah. not, spoiler alert. It's not
0: today. Yeah. yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs>
2: so uh, so on uh, on the doldrum days, or when we're you know when we have um, um, some sort of um, uh, failure of a system on the mainland where they can't receive the electrons and so forth um, we we can use the cable that goes to the mainland as it's bi-directional it's just a big piece of copper so the electrons can flow either from block Island to the mainland or from the mainland back Gotcha. so it it it's it's actually a really good system and we found during the last um we we decided to keep the um, Block Island decided to keep the diesel generators because they were essentially what's called stranded assets. Nobody wants diesel generators. So we kept uh, kept uh, the, the generators and we maintained an oil supply in the backside enough for three days there. And what that allows us to do is when like in the last big wind event where a lot of national grid was knocked out, they couldn't take the electrons from the wind farm, and the wind farm produces too many to supply block island directly. It, they have to be processed, basically. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a huge load, and you, you can't uh, – we can't just turn on one turbine and, and power block island. Yeah. Um, so the diesel generators kicked in, and – There was no interruption of power, even though all across the Northeast there was um, outages outages and so forth. So it was actually win-win-win for Block Island.
1: I've noticed that some days certain turbines are turning others are not now is that do you shut some of them down on purpose because it's too windy sometimes or
2: uh, for for the most part um the, there's there's two answers to that question um the, I'll, I'll start with the um, operational range uh six miles an hour to 56 miles an hour um so the wind's blowing in that range we will be producing power and uh, as we go beyond 25 meters per um, 12 meters per second, 25 miles an hour, we actually curtail, we we, we slow down, we govern the um, the turbines, we feather the blades to do that.
0: So the blades individually pivot to yeah. create less resistance. It's, to it's like it a down.
2: turboprop airplane. If you see them landing, yep. you know, they just feather the blades and then they can stop themselves by doing that. And Creating that's, more that's friction. How, that's, that's how that happens. Now, uh, to, to your, your question about, you know, one or two of them down at a time um during during the summer season is our our primary um uh season for taking care of the turbines you know we have they they require a fair amount of annual maintenance and then occasionally some um uh emergency maintenance you know if you know a fan motor goes out and things like that um so we we spend about 8 8 weeks um on average per turbine in the summertime to to um you know do annual maintenance basically you know you kick the tires and you know, yeah, change your <laughs> Yeah, you know, yeah, get yeah. it ready for the busy yeah, season, which is it, winter for them. It's, it's, yeah. you know, it's a big complex machine, and it, you know, you have to go through all the systems and make sure that everything's operational. And there's no, there's no problems. You, you, it's preventive, preventive maintenance. Yeah. So when we're up tower, when we're on the towers themselves, um, we shut them down because, um, Big moving parts, big moving machinery is not uh, compatible with uh, human safeties. So yeah. You, so you want to be – you want to be um, – you want to turn the unit off. Yeah. Um, uh, so you'll see two or three uh, at, at a given time can be off. And it's – it's generally, you'll also see our um, crew transfer vessel, our CTV, out there bouncing around at the same time.
1: You know, I just had a thought. Did you ever think – w- now, a, a way to make maybe even a little more extra money with this whole project. Could you put like little – like chairs on the blades and make it like a Ferris wheel and like just put
0: kids on it and like let them... you know spin around. I thought you said did you say that so is that the tip of the blade can move at 12 meters per second
2: so so that that's the wind speed at 12 meters per second is is 24 miles an hour the tip of the blade um actually because the blades are 75 meters long 242 feet long you know halion 150 refers to the diameter of it so 150 meters but each blade is 242 feet 243 feet long um, so, when it's it's rotating at, say, 10 rotations per minute, the maximum is 13 rotations per minute, um, the tip of the blade is, is going about 200 miles an hour. Wow.
1: Wow. gee! And they just look like they're just going so slowly from the distance. They're just, it's just like they're. But that's. And, they're and so it would be wrong to put a kid on there. Yeah, don't yeah. put a kid no, on there. No, don't do that. All right, scratch that idea.
2: You know, it could catapult them quite a distance. <laughs> with, yeah. Yeah. Can we put
1: some other people on there? Yeah. I have a list. <laughs> yeah, but
0: they'd have to all weigh the same. So, and, and I'm what, sorry, how much do you weigh? We we really don't like you, but we just
2: are you around one eighty two? And and just just one note with regards to that, you know, there was there was one of the the concerns with regards to the wind farm was the noise associated with it, right? Um, you know, some people are used to uh, terrestrial turbines that don't operate well, and they go yeah, well whoop, whoop, whoop. Yeah. they're making yeah. all sorts of. Noise. If you hear a turbine, it's not working. Efficiently, I've never heard a peep. So it, you get out there, you know. I'll be standing on the deck, you know, and and that that tip of the blade is, is 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 going by me just, you know, twenty feet over my head, and it's it's more of a lufting noise, you know, whoosh, than yeah. anything else. So you know, when when you're down on the water on a boat in you know, close proximity, there the water is making more noise. than yeah, I've never than heard the, of, the turbine is. So. The
0: first time we were out there fishing, and I was like, let's take a cruise mm-hmm. over those windmills. It took, like, forever to get there. Like, I literally, you you felt like you were going, hey, let's just pop over. I thought I'd be there in, like, a minute or two. And you're, like, going and going, and it just gets... I don't know, it gets giant. You know, yeah. it's really something.
2: It's, 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 you know, to this day, I get chills when I go out there. It's just such an extraordinary job that I have, such an extraordinary experience. But you take people out there for the first time, and, you know, they see them from Block Island and, and they say, oh, they look big, but, you know, it's like, okay. But it takes, you know, 20 minutes to get out there. And the closer and closer they get, you know, the the bigger and bigger their eyes get. Yeah. And, you know, it's the funny thing. We we, we tell folks, you should have brought a bigger camera. (laughs) 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 We're going to need a bigger video camera. They'll
1: break out the wide angle lens.
0: (laughs) Now you used to, they were doing tours, but now obviously with the C word around, uh, you know, you've postponed tours. We're not doing that at the moment. That's,
2: that's correct. Well, it's, we, we didn't do any of the commercial tours. That was interstate navigation and, and uh, private uh, recreational charter boats and so forth.
0: Were people allowed on the windmill platforms or is that just by no, boat to no, come around?
2: We, we, we have exhaustive training, um, that is required. All sorts of you know it takes you know uh, we have to do it on, a, on an on annual basis. It's called GWO Global Wind Organization training, but involves uh, working in a marine environment, working at heights, uh, heights, uh, high angle rope rescue, um, uh, electrical safety, and so forth. There's there's a lot of components to be uh, before you're qualified to even step on board yeah one of those. what's remarkable
0: so, well, is mark and i are both we have all of that stuff under our belt and we're we've got to, like yeah. a few
1: cases of that really good snobby vermont mm-hmm. beer we were like can we bribe yeah. you with that and we can all go have out one there of those and drink jump beer packs. yeah jump pack yeah we,
0: yeah
2: if we can you go
1: got the beer drink some beers on top yeah. of the tower is that cool would that can be cool <laughs>
2: can we turn off the microphone for a minute <laughs> <laughs> mm, uh, <laughs> we'll just talk about it out. i after. guess we <laughs> understand the answer yes yeah. we know no, but it's it, you know you get up on the helideck, uh, which is about 300 and, uh, 350 feet above the oh, water, wow. and uh, it's it's uh, you can't actually land a helicopter in there, but we can lower and raise equipment and personnel to that. But we call it the Lido deck. It's one of the best best places to to have uh, your lunch. Oh, I bet you just sit out there and it's just a phenomenal view. You know, it's 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 a phenomenal experience. Yeah. yeah, except not in February, maybe. <laughs> right, it's, it's, there's there's drawbacks to climbing those towers in there, in the off season.
0: Is there a big difference from wind speed when you're on the lower platform to Ab- when you get up there? Absolutely, oh. and that,
2: that's that's one of the things that you know these 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 are highly computerized units, um, so that we we have um, all sorts of uh, sensors and gauges that uh, tell us what's happening to the blade when it's at six six hundred feet, which is a tip. You know, above the water and when it's 90 feet above the water um, because it is, it is affecting the blade differently. And uh, so that's, that's part of the computer control systems that uh, carefully monitor how, how the unit is running um, based on wind conditions because they do fluctuate. It's called laminar airflow.
1: So, we, and I could talk about this forever. We are starting to run short on time. So, Brian, is there anything else about the wind farm that we didn't discuss that you'd like everybody to know or anything?
2: So, one, one of the things, uh, just, just one point, if I can make it, sure. is um, that, uh, you know, our school system out here is, you know, it's, it's a very special school system. It's small, which has its drawbacks and its benefits associated with it. But, you know, when our kids graduate, they're marine biologists, they're ornithologists. You know, it's it, it, they we treat Block Island as 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 a laboratory, and I I I've been trying to work for years to uh, incorporate uh, wind energy into the curriculum, and I'm I'm hoping we can do that because this is a, a generational thing. You know, we're going to have the added benefits of fiber optic associated with the cable. That's going to be a huge difference for Block Island, not only for businesses. But also for um, our school children and it just our, our quality of life, you know, downloading a movie in February for God's sake. Mm-hmm. Um, but in in terms of the educational educational opportunities for our, our our kids, you know, to get them a foot in the door of a this this industry, um, it could
1: if- it could be another one of those generational things that that happen again. Maybe one of your kids does what you do, and yep. you know, you have legions of Block Island. Born and raised kids that end up working on this wind farm, possibly yep. that
2: would yep. be cool. Yeah. The, 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 the subsequent wind farms, it's like I right. said, it's this huge industry. And, yeah. You know, if you if, if you if you start out going going to higher education knowing, you know what what we know about the wind farm here, you know it, it's such a you know it, it, it's it's such an educational opportunity. I think that we uh, we need to stress that.
1: Well, that's I, I mean, how can you argue with that? Yeah, my vote. Same. Yeah. Same. I think it's a good. Good thing. Ryan, um, thank you so much for talking to us. We do have uh, one little feature of our podcast we like to do with all of our guests. It's kind of a, a, a what do you call it, a, a cool-down exercise. You know, you warm up, you cool down at the end of your workout. So uh, this is called the lightning round. And basically, we're just going to throw some questions at you. And don't think about, you know, the answers too much. Just first thing that comes to your head. And uh, are you down with that? Can we do that? Yeah. All yeah. right. Okay. All right, first question. Texting or talking?
0: Texting. Invisibility or super strength? Invisibility. Place you most want to travel? Belize. What's your favorite ice cream
2: flavor? Chocolate. What's your best age? 59. (laughs) Uh, What is your ideal outdoor temperature? Uh, 62 degrees. Have you ever seen a UFO? No. No.
0: Wow, that's all I got. Wow, that was, that, probably, was, that was a sharp lightning round. That was a very sharp. Like, lightning round. You truly round. got the definition of lightning round, and you, you didn't. You didn't even stumble at all. No? And
2: I did it with my eyes closed. So, <laughs> <Is
0: it? laughs> well, that way the lightning's not as bright, flashing in your eyes. It's so. true. Well, wow. I guess uh, that wraps it up for this conversation. Thanks for listening, and thank you, Brian. Again, yeah, thank thanks, you Brian. so much. For I, once again, I've learned a lot, and I hope our listeners do as well. It's it's a great uh,
2: thing you guys are doing. You know, keep it up. It's it's really very very cool. Thank thanks. you so
0: much. And. Uh, For you listeners out there, remember, reach out if you'd like. Send us comments, uh, requests, ideas. Uh, You can reach us by email at twoguysonbi at gmail.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media. We
1: are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And wherever you listen to our podcast, whether it's Apple Podcasts or Spotify, make sure you subscribe to our podcast. But most importantly, please, tell your friends about it. Right, Rich? Yep. Tell a friend. If you like it, maybe they'll
0: like it, too. If
1: so the, the second I start making some friends, I'm going to tell them all about
0: this thing. Me, too. Yeah. Yeah. All
1: right. I'm well, gonna... once again, thanks to our, aggress- our, aggress- our guest, Brian <laughs> Wilson. And uh, we'll see you next time.
0: All right. Have a great week. Blue with to do, to do, feeling pretty okay
1: in the Bahamas, pajamas, 24 hours a day two guys on Block Island is recorded live at Captain Nick's rock and roll bar music courtesy of the booze beggars all segments produced by Rich tretheway and Mark Scortino see you next time cap.